elders. However, that decision. Uh, but we're just so thankful to be able to update you on Peru and particularly the seminary there in Utabamba. And uh, so basically this morning, we're going to give you a Peru update and then we will uh, introduce uh, missions, uh, what I'm just calling an introduction to modern missions as a, as a way to lead in to uh, another op- uh, pulpit supply opportunity that's coming up on July 25th on a a.m. and a p.m. where I, uh, I'm going to share about five aspects of, of missions. So today is mostly Peru update, and you're welcome to ask questions. If you want to see something for a longer period of time or ask a question about a picture, please do so. That's kind of the fun of this kind of this format. But then I'll be sharing uh, more on, on what I'm just calling... Uh, Kind of an introduction to modern missions, and so looking forward to do this, doing this uh, for lots of reasons. One, I just you know it's neat to be in front of familiar faces and uh, you know folks that you, you've gotten to know over the years. Uh, but also, I'm, uh, I've been asked to to uh, start a class on missions down at the seminary there in Peru, and so uh, I've been reading extra and looking at things, and you know how that is when you're trying to put together a class, you're just trying to accumulate stuff. And so I'm in accumulating stuff mode where I'm getting different books and different ideas and trying to formulate how I'd want to put together the class. So, um, Kurt, no pun intended, I'm not saying they're guinea pigs, <laughs> Peru and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm using some things here. I'm using some things here that I'm considering how to use them in the classroom setting. So this is going to sound, when I get to the missions part, a lot more teachy than it is uh, preachy, if you will. But let's go ahead and uh, open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to start showing pictures, saying some things, and I'm just going to keep moving, and if you have questions, I'll be happy to, happy to stop. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to update the folks that have been just unbelievably faithful with their prayers, with their finances, for the students, uh, for the ministry there in Peru, and uh, I just trust that this will be uh, a great opportunity, a great time to show them how you're working there in the lives of the students and how you're moving the seminary forward. We ask this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Here we go. All right, just a, a wonderful verse, a teaching verse, if you will, that you could preach on, Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach Others also. So that's what we're trying to do. (laughs) And we work as hard at it as we can. Trust the Lord to lead us in different ways. We're trying to prepare young men to serve as pastors, uh, the young ladies as teachers, uh, Sunday school teachers, uh, lead ladies uh, groups, and so on. And that is our main building right there. That's the chapel. That's something that's going up. That's the second floor of a dorm that we are just incredibly excited about. And uh, I want to say a few things about this young man here, Marco, because he kinds of he kind of uh, is kind of an epitome of what uh, you know. We we really want to see how the Lord's working in people's lives. This this young man. But as I I lead into that, I just wanted to kind of bring you up to date on the seminary. About a you know thinking back to about a year and a half ago, Pastor Dwight and Jane were were there. Uh, Pastor was giving uh, his presentation on on Israel does a wonderful job, just many, many messages. And so here's a quick recap of about a, a year and a half. So back in 2020, in March, when, it, when COVID hit, 
It hit Peru and it hit the whole world. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if we'll ever be the same again for, for lots of different, you know, discussions. But what was interesting for us, as Peru came to a standstill, schools were closing left and right, and it was just, you know, things were falling apart. Our little seminary, our students there, that's where they lived. And so that was their home. And so we just continued on. You know, we, we just kept teaching and, and nobody came in and said, you got to stop. And so we kept teaching and we just trusted the Lord. But I think what, what saved the day for us was that uh, our students lived on campus and didn't leave. From March until October, our students were on campus and we were able to continue teaching with the, the, uh, with the teachers that we had on campus. We, uh, we had to upgrade some things with Zoom and the Internet to enable Zoom to function. But all that time, from March to October of 2020, we were able to teach our classes either in person, most of them through Zoom, but we kept going, and we, we were just so privileged. We, we, just, uh, we were just so thankful. And then came 2021, when we normally would have gone down, we, we did not go. There were so many COVID restrictions and situations that we did not go down to Peru this year in 2021, so I taught on Zoom. And um, learned a lot about Zoom and made it work. And it's not the best way to do things. But those of you that have gotten introduced to Zoom in your, well, your workplace, you kind of know what I mean. But I was able to teach Baptist Church History, Acts, Revelation, and Biology 1 through Zoom uh, just about every morning from about 8.30 to 12.40 with, with a break in there. So we kept things going. Um, it was working. Uh, I, Pastor Pastor. Percy, the Dean of Studies, as I mentioned, uh, put, uh, put me in charge of, of putting forth this class. So that gave me some, uh, some additional things to do and some thoughts. And, uh, and I'm, I'm moving forward with those. And I'm going to get a chance to share a little bit of that with you. Now, Marco, neat young man, he's, he's on the other end. And he's going to do any, uh, for the class, any uh, Things that I need translated in an excellent way, he's going to do that for me. So, so for the, the classes down there, he's going to make sure different things uh, that I need translated will get translated in a very quality way. But Marco has a, just, just a brief history on Marco. He, was, he attended our seminary uh, for one year, about six years ago, I believe. Uh, wonderful job. He you know, did a uh, very good student, loves the Lord. Uh, but he was going to be a lawyer. And mom and dad sent him off to a Christian university in Mexico, a, a university with fine reputation. He went there, studied four years, got his degree, did really well, came back, started the process of becoming a, an attorney in Peru, which is laborious from what I understand, just a lot of paperwork and a lot of doing this and a lot of doing that. And then he, uh, he lives in Utabamba, where our seminary is. And, and I don't know exactly how he came on board, but he came on board at the seminary and he, he became like a dean of students. Uh, he was a younger guy. He could relate to the students really well. And, and he did. He worked with the students and, and uh, he's one of those kind of guys that, whoa, you know, he's talented. And he started helping out in chapel and he's giving chapel messages and he helps people with translations like me. Uh, and he just... The Lord just started to use him more and more. And, and pretty soon, I remember he came to me and he said, you know, he says, you know, I, I really think the Lord's calling me this direction. And I don't want, and I really don't want to uh, be an attorney. I, I, I don't want to be a lawyer. 
Now, he was a little pressure from mom and dad. Mom and dad in Peru, being an attorney is a very, uh, uh, you know, it, it's considered way up on the ladder. And they, they wanted him to do that. Now, they're good people, but sometimes, you know, with our children, we, I don't know if the, if the glasses get a little foggy or something, and we may not see things as clearly as we should. Uh, but to make a long story short, Marco uh, is, this is an amazing thing to me. I, I hope you can can appreciate it too. But Marco is taking the Masters of Divinity course through Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary in Ankeny, Iowa, through the internet. I mean, that guy has the uh, the language skills to take master's level courses online, you know, from Peru to there, and he's finished the year and he's doing well. And uh, it's neat working with the young man. These are our students. SEBIC uh, stands for Seminario Evangelical Bautista. Independiente del Cusco, uh, and so we just say Sebik, and these are our students for 2021. And uh, someone asked me, "How come the young ladies are all with their mask and the guys aren't?" And so you know, the only thing I could come up with with that picture is the young ladies had just coming out had just come out of quarantine. One of them had uh, I'm not sure the exact situation, but they were in quarantine for. They required Peruvian time. It was either 10 or 14 days. And so I believe that's why they're in mass and guy, the guys aren't. But that's our crew. They like to look nice. We like to take ties down for them. Wendy takes scarves down for the young ladies often. Uh, but there they are. First year students. Um, one of the biggest concerns we had was, was this. March to October, our students you know, stayed on campus, completed the year. At October, they went home. But then the question was, were they going to be able to come back? Uh, there's going to be great financial pressures on them. And will they be able to come back that next school year? And the next school year uh, in South America, it starts in March. And so we were concerned, greatly concerned, if we'd get our students back. And not only did we get our students back, but we had six in our first year class, which we're, we're very thankful, all things, all things considered. This is just a picture that shows some of the places in our area, and that just says uh, an extreme, uh, an extreme level. And so the the whole COVID thing uh, was hitting really hard, and and in fact they're they're concerned for another wave coming through um, right now. Now, some of the things that were going on during the, the COVID situation was an absolute blessing. We got our foot in the door in a number of ways. And so the missionaries uh, really took it, I don't say it lovingly, I guess, but they took advantage of the situation and distributed food and tracks and, and so on and so forth. And that's what this represents. Um, they were able to be out and about to a certain degree and to that certain degree, uh, some of the authorities would say, oh, that's okay, you're giving out food, you know, we can, we can do that. And, and so that's what this represents. Uh, this is a friend, uh, Rusty, he's from another area in Pucallpa, a couple hours away. But to get into the store, and this was not very long ago, to get into the store, they had to go double mask and a, and a shield. This, this is meant to show how um, the, they were, with the COVID situation closing things down, just like us here, they were able to do virtual classes. And, and that's our pastor, that's, that's Pastor Percy, our dean of studies at the seminary. This is a young graduate. This is a young graduate uh, at new churches. And this, this shows how they're working through the virtual world. 
And this is a couple of young ladies. Uh, the one in the upper left, uh, uh, Mag- not Magnita, Maritza. Maritza, she's doing a virtual, she's, she's with some missionaries in another community, and she's doing Sunday school. And that's what that shows. In the lower right-hand corner, many of you have heard Pastor Dwight talk about Rachel and the issues that she's been having with her uh, residency. But that's Rachel in the right-hand corner, and she's teaching Awana uh, through, uh, through Zoom. And she made it work, from what I understand. It'd be a little tricky with little ones and everything, but uh, she put it together. This shows chapel and the social distancing and, you know, all the proper things that, that they were to do. This is at the start of the school year. This would be March uh, of this year. This is the inside of our chapel. Another shot of the inside of the chapel. Uh, online missions class. When, when uh, Pastor Dwight and Jane went down in... Um, 2016 and 2020, they, uh, he preached at what was our spiritual emphasis week. And he preached many, many messages, I think like 21, 21 messages on Israel. And that was during the pre-start of class week. We call it spiritual emphasis week. And we do Israel, we do creation, we do missions, and then we do uh, a fourth one that we think is, you know, appropriate. But we always like to do Israel, creation, and missions, and then we put a fourth one in so all the students through four years will get those three plus uh, another one. So that's what that represents. Uh, Online missions conference from the states. Um, This just shows me, I, I was teaching my... Baptist Church History, Acts, Revelation, and Biology 1 class. I think I said that. But that's in the li- my living room, uh, teaching away. And this is on the other end. This was the Revelation class. There's Marco with his big smile, the students back there. Uh, that's, the, that's one of their homework assignments. It's a biggie. Uh, it's, it's a timeline of the book of Revelation. You know, and they have the seven-year tribulation period and all those things uh, that are in the book of Revelation. And we even ask them to tie in Daniel because they had taken Daniel from me prior to that. And so to me, when I look at that, that represents an awful lot of work, a lot, a lot of time and energy by the young people. And that's, that, that means a lot. Now, this is a thank you that really is, is partially for you. I don't know, you know, it, it doesn't say to South, you know, to Southview Bible Church or something like that. But one of the things that in, in our students, they understand, but they don't understand that there are folks like you who help send missionaries down there, who send you know, people down there to do things, uh, who send money there for the work-study scholarship, and you, know, you, you really don't even know them, and they don't know you. And so you know, to them, that's like, whoa, you know, that's, pretty, that's very special. Uh, and it means a lot, even if they don't totally understand it. Uh, it motivates them. Uh, they want to do well. They want to represent their God well. And that's what these letters are. These are various letters that basically say thank you to the folks that are, have been doing those things that I just said. Now, one of the things that Wendy and I have been intimately involved with is the work-study scholarship program over lots of years. Uh, it's always been very important to us. So that when the students, once the students get on campus, they want to work, then we want to be able to provide, you know, work opportunities. Uh, So they work, they earn money, and it pays their room, board, and tuition. And it costs 500, roughly $500 a year for room, board, and tuition on our little campus. 
But these are examples of things that they do. And they get paid and then they can pay their room board and tuition. And these are, this is not only showing the work-study scholarship program, but it's also showing the, the second floor of that dorm that's making a lot of progress. And I'll just show you a couple more pictures of this. They're, they're moving bricks. Uh, there's a nice shot of the progress that's being made on the second floor, and we're absolutely delighted. They not only use it during the school year, but there's all kinds of summer camps. There's pastor's camps. There's family camps, like a lot of our folks are at today. Uh, they go to camp, and, and we have pastors that come from all over the place, stay on our campus for those, those different camps. And we're just, once again, very happy to have a nice facility for them. This just shows more uh, work opportunities. In fact, this young man, uh, married guy, wonderful young man, just loves the Lord. Uh, he's working in our house. We go in that door is where we live. Uh, this is a project that Wendy thought up. Sometimes the project are, are, are I don't want to say male-centric, but you know they're physical things. They've got to lift stuff and bricks, and they've got to do physical labor and sometimes that doesn't work out for the young ladies. And so Wendy's always tuned into, you know, what, what can we, you know, how can young ladies earn money? And so one of them was, is, was this, and this was really good because it needed done. The desk, if you can kind of look, we're not in too good a shape. But basically Wendy organized them using sanders and, and got help from Marco. Uh, basically, they got paid for cleaning up the desk and uh, not stating them, I think it was a varnish. But that shows the finished product on the right-hand side. And here's a few familiar faces. Uh, back in 2014, uh, this was just a kind of like grunt work, wasn't it? I mean, it was just a, you know, pastor didn't go down to just preach like he did in 16 and 20. Uh, they went down and they worked and they got a lot done on our chapel floor. And uh, it's probably bringing back some neat memories for, for Kurt. Uh, but 2014, got a lot of work done on the chapel. We went from a cement floor for many years to, um, you know, that, that kind of ceramic tile. And it was just, what a blessing. Um, and this, this shows, you know, things that I talked about. Conference on Israel uh, 2016, 2020. Um, and, and pastor really is uh, an authority. I could, if I, you know, say a scholar, very knowledgeable on Israel in our and our students were totally blessed. And it was also open up to the community. The community would come in for some of them. Uh, but for the most part, it was our students getting some really, really solid teaching on, on Israel. This is, this is, oops. This is Pastor Ken right there, uh, who is translating for uh, Pastor Dwight. Uh, another picture, this must be the 21, 2020. 2020. Interesting because when COVID hit, um, it only hit about one week after they returned to the States. And, uh, you know, I always smile thinking, you know, he'd have, he could have been doing a lot of preaching for a long, long time. And he could have got stuck there because they shut everything down. Uh, and this, this was neat because when, when Pastor Dwight was uh, in the chapel doing, you know, his, his thing with Israel, uh, Wendy and Jane... Uh, we're in the library with a lot of young people. Um, you, were, you were basically teaching on Israel and... Jewish culture and being a child in that era. 
Okay, Jewish culture, being a child uh, during that era. And, and I know the kids had a really good time. And, and I, Jane and Wendy probably had a really good time too. Uh, plus, um, there is Wendy and there is Jane with the, with the ladies on campus. Um, yeah, the students, uh, the female students and, and some of the, the, the staff, the wives and so on. Uh, they were involved in teaching and doing fellowship with them. Uh, this is something that, that I wanted to mention because maybe second only to the work-study scholarship program that we do, this is something that's really near and dear to me. Being a teacher you know, all my life, uh, well, adult life for 40 years or so, you know, books are just, uh, books are, are important. Books are tremendously important. And, and not only are they important, uh, our students really appreciate them. For those of you that have been teachers uh, and you have students that appreciate something, it's like, you know, I, I want to do this some more. You know, it's just, you like teaching when, when people are, are receptive. And when they're not so receptive, well, then you got to find ways to, you know, help them become receptive. And that was part of me teaching high school for all those years. You just got to figure things out sometimes. But with these books... I've, I got, I've gotten into the mode where they don't get, you know, when they take the class, they get the notes and, and they get these notes and they're helpful and they get them through the class and they learn a lot. But I always wanted to get them something else that they could take with them so that they could build on that. It could help them do a Sunday school class, Bible study. It could help the young man put together sermons. And so I was always trying to find uh, appropriate books. And over the last several years, one of the things that I've started to do is, is this. Some of you may recognize this because you have it in English. Tim LaHaye's Prophecy Study Bible. And if anybody knows what that, that Bible is, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, any prophecy uh, from the Old Testament, New Testament, you know, any topic, marriage supper of, of the Lamb, you know, the second coming, just you name it, it's in there. One, it tells you where to look it up in Scripture, and two, it will give you some information on it and how you can study it further. And so that became, that really became our textbook. We were, I was constantly get, giving them assignments out of there. They were using it for reports. And so this book became our textbook, which meant, you know, they couldn't afford it. So um, there were folks uh, through ministry funds that we were able to provide that textbook. And uh, it'll give them really a, life, a lifetime of, of resource. This one over here, I don't know if anybody recognizes that. You might recognize his name. Some of you that know Wilmington Study Guide to the Bible realize that that's a, a pretty interesting book. It's a big old book. And that um, can help you prepare Sunday school lessons. It can help you do a lot of things. Uh, and so we give that as a, as a gift, a graduation gift at the end of the school year. And we just feel so fortunate to be able to do that. Then this book was something new. And um, I'm sure, you know, Warren W. Wearsby, Warren Wendell Wearsby, I guess the original WWW, he, he wrote a series, uh, somebody got it, okay, uh, he wrote a, uh, you probably know his series, the B-series, 
And so he has wonderful, you know, in the New Testament, be mature, be vigilant, be courageous, you know, just, you know, that's the title. And that gets into the theme of the book. And, and you learn a lot about that particular New Testament book. But this thing here has all the books of the New Testament, has all his B series here. And one of the things that we're, we're attempting to do, we haven't quite pulled it off, but we want to get this into the hands at a, at a reasonable cost. So they have to pay something. Uh, we have about 80 pastors in our fellowship in our little area. Most of them are little Quechua churches that are just little, you know, just one room uh, churches with the dirt floor. But they love the Lord and they, the pastors need help in various shapes or form. And we want to get this book into their hands because uh, uh, Warren Wearsby is, is well respected there. And as you know, he's, he's a good, solid Bible teacher. Uh, but we're trying to get this book uh, 80 of them, we need at least 80 of them into the hands of the, those pastors. Uh, this shows some of the things that Wendy's been involved with. Some of it was before the COVID hit, I believe. So some of these pictures may not show, you know, the mask and everything. It's because this is just meant to be an example of, of Wendy's involvement in different things. So Bible clubs on campus. Uh, there was always, there's always students, always little ones. Uh, we would do a lot of, um, in Spanish, it's called the paseo. It's kind of like a field trip. I think that would be the closest in English. Uh, a field trip where we would go someplace. Sometimes we'd ride our bikes to get there or sometimes we'd walk to get there. But we would go there and the students would, the young lad Shakita in the middle, she's passing out tracks. Um, young lady on the left might be a Sarvia or a student, but she's sharing with the one on the right. I know that for sure. But that was really common. The students would be out and about sharing uh, with tracks in the message, uh, the gospel message. Uh, Wendy getting down and dirty there a little bit in Awana. And uh, of course, Wendy just loves Awana, her involvement with the little ones. That's one of our students there. Young lady named Sarvia, I believe. And then uh, this, we threw this picture in a little self-serving. This is kind of neat. My middle daughter... Amber came down to Peru with two of the grandsons uh, and her husband, you know, the family came, but the grandsons, I got to ride bikes with them in Peru, you know, stuff like that. And so that's what this shows. This is, this is a social at the end of the, the three week module uh, on that Friday, when the, when the class was over, it was kind of like a sigh of relief. The, uh, we had a social of some kind and it was fun and food, but uh, there's me talking to the big son-in-law. He's a big guy. There's my daughter. There's one of the grandsons. And they're just interacting and just having a good time with, with the, the seminary students and some of the children of the staff. So that's what that's meant to show. Social, lots of fun. I uh, wanted to show this picture for a couple of reasons. This is a young man, uh, Douglas, right here. And this is when he was still on campus. Uh, he was uh, you know, a hard worker, energetic guy. Uh, this, this shows his, uh, his leadership in the, uh, the Awana. He may have been like the student commander or whatever that terminology would have been. But he was a good guy. You know, he worked hard. He was very diligent, organized. And then Douglas met Rakalita. Rakalita was a student on campus. And we just, you know, we're just so thankful when God does this, brings us two, two students together. And so there we are on campus. 
this, this one happened to be the year of creation for the Spiritual Emphasis Week at Douglas and Rakalita. And I have my uh, Yine village, Miaria village vest on. It was a, a little gift that I got, had gotten from one of the students who lived, was a tribal person. Uh, but Douglas and Rakalita got married and they have a couple little ones. And he has gone on to since start a church and uh, things are, he's, I think he's had his second or third anniversary of the church and things are progressing well. And I just wanted to show that because um, we all need those little shot in the arms, you know, kind of like the success story. And Douglas and Rakalita are serving the Lord and, they, and they're doing a wonderful job in an area several, uh, a few hours away from where we are. And this, uh, it, it's, a, it's just a note to say thank you for your support. Please continue to pray for our students. God is working in them and through them. And this is, just, uh, this is another picture of our young people. And I'm going to stop right there for a while. And uh, before I kind of get into the, to this, the other aspect, to see if you might have questions uh, or if somebody says something and kind of triggers a thought in my mind. Uh, but please, feel free to ask Questions about the seminary, the students, you know, COVID, anything that's, that's happening there. If you have any questions, please ask. Yes, I'll... Yeah, um, well, we always investigate the kind of the easiest, cheapest way to do that. Sometimes uh, I have to bring stuff from the States there, which is, you know, not the most convenient, but you put them in a suitcase and you take them down. Um, so that's one way of doing it uh, because you, you can get anything you want in the States. I mean, you, you can just get, but in Peru, you can't get anything, uh, but you can get some things. Uh, and so what we're doing is, is we're, we're going through the process of seeing if we can get them in Peru uh, the big city, Lima, the capital of Peru, is kind of like a Chicago. If you can't get it in Lima, you're not going to get it anywhere. So we're going through the process now of, of seeing where we can get them, how many we can get, uh, and, and we're making headway. To get 80 of them, I don't know if that's realistic. I'll probably have to take some down next time we go. So I'm not sure if your question was where we're going to purchase them. Oh, I see. Well, that's how the Lord leads. You know, we, we use our ministry funds for, you know, the work study scholarship for books. And uh, if, if somebody was so led, they would just, you know, they would earmark that. They would just, you know, say, uh, these are for books, Pat, or, you know, give it to the church in that way. We're buying as high a quality as you can because you can get them cheaper that way. But to be honest, it's, it wouldn't be easy to take them down. You know, to take down 80 books those from that B series is like, whoa. I mean, that would be a big job. But we do it because it, it, it'll get done. It's going to get done. But thank you for asking. Yeah. Other questions? Our students are from all, all over Peru. We have, we have students from the big city of Lima. And we have students from... Uh, you know, as rural as you could think. You think of a rural place in the United States, uh, it's rural in, in Peru too. But we're so blessed. When they come together, it's a neat, 
blending of God's people uh, serving together and wanting to learn together. And it's fun to see them grow together over, over the years. Yes? That one dormitory you showed, is that where they all live? Uh, the males, uh, the boys or the girls. You know, they have different buildings. Um, Yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. One is a big old house where the kind of the, um, I'm not sure if you want to, how to describe him, but this, uh, his name is Roberto Watley. He had enough foresight to purchase the land way back in the early 90s. Kind of like, you know, sometimes when people, um, you know, in, in a city, they, you know, they have the foresight that, oh, someday they they're going to build a golf course out here, and that land is going to be worth a fortune. And so they buy the land, and some days, you know, the golf course buys the land, and they make a fortune. But for Pat, Roberto, it was more like he saw the city kind of building out that way. He bought this land. It was really just, you know, just a field with giant rocks everywhere. But it was an awesome piece of property that became our seven-acre uh, seven seminary. So, you know, it's, it's just a, a blessing to, to have, have that kind of land. Someone else? Yes? What generally do the men that graduate do I can name for you, I, I can answer that question, you know, to a certain degree, because, you know, the ones that go into ministry are the ones that, uh, it's it's easier for us to kind of you know track and and keep keep you know follow up on and so on. So many of them go into a pastorate. Now they're bi or tri or quad vocational. They it doesn't you know we they just can't pay uh, a, a young man to be their pastor. And he he like Douglas he can't support his family on what the church could provide. It's just it just doesn't work. There's just not enough money to do that. So the young men are bivocational or trivocational. They have other jobs. Um, but as the church matures and grows, you know, that, that does start to happen more and they can put more time into the church. And of course, they know that's the goal. Uh, just like you wouldn't want, you know, it just wouldn't work. Pastor Dwight does so much, you know, he just couldn't work outside the church. He just, just couldn't do it. Uh, but in Peru, they couldn't function if they didn't. So to answer your question, I, cu- I could give you many examples of young men that have gone out and become missionary pastors in the church. By missionary pastors, a lot of times we'll say, the, the church in Utabamba called the New Life Baptist Church is kind of like a hub church. And it's a strong church. And uh, hopefully you're going to meet the pastor of that church, Sam Rojas, here in a month or so. He's coming on furlough. And I know Pastor Dwight's working with him, trying to get him to come and so on to come to, to visit. But the New Life Baptist Church is a hub and it will, uh, it will send out missionaries like Douglas to uh, be a missionary and to also uh, be a pastor at that church. And, and so, you know, that, that's what provides the, the funds so that he could support his family. But other than that, uh, you know, I've known students that have gone out and didn't go into ministry. You know, they, they're in the church uh, they teach Sunday school, but I didn't go into the ministry. I mean, they did not become a pastor, but they teach Sunday school and they're a carpenter or, you know, they drive a taxi or something like that. So it could be all kinds of things. Yes. Yeah. Um, the last time I asked that, the, the Utabamba area was about 25,000. 
Peru is about 33 million, and I understand Lima is about a fourth of that, like about four, about about eight million, about a fourth of it. So, we we you know Lima is the big city, and you fly into Cusco. That's kind of like you know you're getting rural, and then you drive to Utabamba. It's like you're in the you know in the sticks. <laughs> But that's okay. I love the sticks. You know, Utabamba is a wonderful place. Yes? Um, during COVID, did the government impose a lot of lockdowns to make things difficult? Or was it a lot of more self-government? Kind of no, it was government. And the, and the government there is, well, I don't, don't want to, you know, we we'll, won't we'll talk about that. But the government there is, is interesting. I mean, interesting. I mean, when they put their foot down, they can put it down pretty hard. And they walk around with guns, you know, stuff like that. And, and you and I aren't used to that kind of enforcement. And to some degree, you know, we don't really appreciate that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, in Peru, you know, if you had to have a mask on and you were walking around, you better have a mask on or you won't be walking around. <laughs> it's that kind of pretty strict enforcement. If I had the time, I could tell some stories about um, when Wendy and I, we came back in 2020 we stayed and we taught most of the part, but things were getting to where the embassy is saying, okay, if you're an American citizen, 65 or older, you better get out of town. You know, they, they were saying that. And so we, we hung on there and we kept teaching. And then we talked to missionaries in Cusco. And so uh, we, we eventually left in 2020 and finished, you know, teaching classes online. But we had some really interesting experiences trying to get through uh, roadblocks and, and different things. They just operate different. Um, you know, it's just... So they, they were pretty strict. Yes? The internet is asking that you repeat the question before you answer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll do that. I will do that. Is there a school system in Peru? Okay, the question was, is there a school system in Peru? And I say yes. It's a public school system, but with a heavy heavy tinge of Catholicism. Uh, and I mean heavy, because if they have a week off for, you know, for some kind of a religious festival, Catholic religious festival, then the school's off. And uh, the schools have parades that will just, yeah, Wendy's like, you know, she, she, just, she just doesn't like those. You know, they wear the mask, and they're just very uncomfortable kinds of... It, the religion there is kind of syncretic. It's Catholicism, but it's also, you know, an Inca kind of based whatever, to where it's hard to understand. Uh, and so there's public schools. Uh, there's also private schools. We have a little school on our campus that's, uh, go, that goes through the New Life Baptist Church. There's a little Christian school on our campus. Do they all speak the same language? No, they don't. Uh, most of our students are Quechua. Are, they're descendants of the Incas. Uh, when the Spaniards came in, uh, as you probably know the story so to some degree, they pretty much wiped out the Incas. But some of the Incas escaped or you know, had, a, had a plan, and they literally went to the mountains, to the Andes Mountains. Uh, the conquistadors weren't going to chase them there. They just got the gold, and they, were, you know, they did their thing, took the gold back to Spain. Uh, but those that escaped to the mountains uh, started a whole culture there in the 1500s or so. And uh, they, they are the culture known as Quechua. And, and they were the ones that, in the last couple generations to our time, started to come out of the mountains and, you know, assimilate, acclimate into the, uh, into the 
regular Spanish-speaking Peruvian culture. One, they didn't speak Spanish. They spoke Quechua, so they had to learn the language. And two, it was really kind of sad because they were the ones who were always taken advantage of, you know, given the phony money and, and just, you know, taken advantage of. And our little seminary back in the early 90s was started just for Quechua. I mean, it was, it was when you look at it from that perspective, it was a noble deal. I mean, they were trying to meet the needs and take care of those Quechua folks. But the Quechua folks, to be honest, they have a, a definite inclination for the Lord. I mean, they, they are wonderful servants of the Lord. I mean, they, you know, they don't mess around. <laughs> you know, they're going to go out and they're going to witness. And they, th- things don't hold them back. Um, I could talk about that kind of thing all day, and so could Wendy. She teaches a class on visuals and pedagogy and, and teaches the students how to do lessons and, and how to witness and how to use um, the wordless book and how to use the, the soccer, uh, soccer ball with the colors of the wordless book. They, they, they just don't have hesitation on sharing the gospel. They just get out and they do it. I mean, you love them. You know, you, you just love them. I'm not sure if I answered that question or I got... Got going there. Yes. Do ever okay? Do any of the students in a cross-cultural mission situation? Uh, no, we're not saying that. That uh, which reminds me, I maybe should get this other part going. Which reminds me that maybe, um, maybe that's part of what's what's going to happen with this changing in the missions curriculum. That uh, some of our Peruvian students that when they graduate, they're going to become cross-cultural, which, which just means they can be cross-cultural in their own country because there are, there are different languages. Uh, there are like 24 different dialects of Quechua. So if this, these 24 different dialects of Quechua are going to have a Bible, they have to have 24 different translated Bibles. Uh, plus there's other groups. There's groups called Yine, uh, which is just a, a tribal you know, word that means another tribe with another language. There's the Aymara. So there's a lot of different languages. And I'm going to kind of phase into uh, just talking to you about missions. Because if I don't, then I, I won't get through this. Um, and, and I can, I'll, I'll make sure I stay on schedule. But what I wanted to do today with the rest of the time is, is just share some thoughts on, on modern missions. Because... One, my heart's been on it, my mind's been on it, putting together this class. Plus, it's going to lead into, um, it's going to lead into uh, the messages on July 25th in the morning and the evening where I talk about five aspects of modern missions. But, but one of the things you, you learn about uh, as you get into studying missions and just reading about you know, different books about missions is that many people study missions, modern missions, according to the fact that there's three eras, there's three time periods. Now, a lot of times that's done to make it easier to study so that you can study it by, you know, 18, uh, you know, whatever time period that you're looking at. So say, for instance, William Carey. Awesome. This quote, this quote has impacted some of the, some of the, the most well-known missionaries in the history of the world. This quote, they, they say, this quote is inspired me. You know, Hudson Taylor, Adoram Judson, David Livingston. Th- that quote, um, God used that quote in a mighty way. You know, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And then 
this is the, 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 the thing that I wanted to share with because this is just one approach to studying modern missions. You can kind of get focused by studying in these eras. But it really, modern missions started with William Carey. He, uh, he's given credit for it. He's called the father of modern missions. He had that wonderful quote. Uh, he, was, uh, he was just a, an incredible, extremely bright. He translated the Bible into the seven major languages of India, which, you know, the, the language is very difficult. And, and he also did pieces of the Bible and 209 other dialects of the, of the Indian continent, uh, of the Indian nation. And so he triggered what is known as modern missions. And that's why he's called the father of modern missions. So era one, uh, as we, we're giving credit to, uh, to William Carey, he lived between 1793 and, and 1865. He um, triggered this, this, this time period um, that goes, uh, I'm sorry, it goes from 1793 to 1865, this first era. He lived from 1761 to 1834. And, and in 1791, he wrote this rather unassuming little booklet, this thing right here. And, and it's all apart because I'm getting it translated for my class into Spanish. But you can see it's not, you know, it's really very unassuming. It's just kind of there. It's 86 pages of little stuff. But it has a rather, <laughs> if I could say it this way, it has a, a rather a, a large assuming title. I mean, for the, for the size of the book, this is the title of it. And uh, it goes this way. An inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens in which the religious state of the different nations of the world, the success of former undertakings, and the practicability of future, uh, of further undertakings are considered. So he gave an R&D on, on, on missions. And the reason that he did is because uh, William Carey was a Protestant in a particular... Uh, oh, Kind of gave it away. Uh, but he was what was known as a particular Baptist. Particular Baptists are, are wonderful people. Uh, they're Calvinistic, but some of them tend towards hyper-Calvinism. And uh, hyper-Calvinism basically says, to make a long story short, um, you know, if God has elected everybody, why do we do missions? You know, John MacArthur is, leans towards Calvinism. John Piper leans towards... And those guys love missions. And you know that. So you got to be careful when you kind of pigeonhole somebody. What I'm talking about is a group here called Particular Baptists who tended towards the hyper-Calvinistic view. And William Carey was very disappointed in that. He just didn't understand it. The command was to go forward and do missions and share the gospel. And, and, and basically he was saying, why aren't you guys doing it? So he wrote this little book and he put it all into, and he put it all right here for people to read. And it got things rolling, not just for the particular Baptists, but for the whole Protestant denomination to get yourself in gear for doing missions. And here's, here's one more quote I came across that if you understand a little bit about the Protestant Reformation, you'll understand the significance of this, of this comment. But here it is. This little book on Protestant missions is the equivalent of Luther's 95 theses on the Protestant's Reformation. 
So very, very significant. Luther's 95 Theses up on the Wittenberg Castle Church was a game changer. This little booklet was also a game changer for missions for, you know, in a smaller, in a smaller context. So era one is, uh, as you can see, from 1793 to 1865. Then era two. The point about era one is this. It reached every coastline. Every coastline in the world had missionaries there and they were functioning and churches were, were going. Now, the next step came with, with Hudson Taylor in, uh, from 1832 to 1905 uh, was his, his time of, of living. But the era, too, was 1865 to 1974. He founded the China Inland Missions. And from that time period to about 1974, they followed the Hudson Taylor's, many missionaries followed his way of doing things and went inland. And so from the coastland, they started to move inland geographically. And so roughly by 1974, there have been missionaries inland. I'm not saying they were, they've been everywhere, but that was the goal. And, and it was really quite successful. So by 1974, virtually all the inlands of the geographic countries of the world were reached with the gospel. Era 3, 74 to date, where we're living, it's a different mindset. It's a different mindset because we really don't think in terms of, we don't really think in terms of geography as we do, uh, as we, as we think of unreached people groups. You know, and you may ask, well, you know, why, why do we think about unreached people groups? Well, Scripture talks about unreached people groups, you know, everywhere. For instance, and, I, and I'm running out of time, and I'll talk more about this in the future, but listen to this. This is, this is, from, this is from Revelation uh, 5, 9. You can read it in, in Revelation 7, 9. But it talks about... Um, it talks about, here it is, 5.9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open it. This is a wonderful scripture. Talk, you know, John is, is looking and he's saying, Who can open the scroll that's in God's hand? God, God is sitting on the throne with his scroll. And John starts to cry. He says, oh, nobody's, nobody's worthy to open it. Christ steps up. The lamb steps up. And he is, he is found, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood. And here it is. Here it is. This is what makes, you know, this is what makes missionaries smile. And people who send missionaries, this is what makes you smile. Because, and you're going to know the because. Standing before the throne of God has redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I told you the end of the story. Because <laughs> there it is. Someday in heaven, there are going to be people from every tongue, every nation, every kindred, and every people. How do they get there? Somehow, there's going to be a missionary work to get that done. I don't understand how, who, what, when, and where. But it's going to get done. I am totally, absolutely convinced. And you can be convinced too. Now, in, later on in July 25th, uh, there's the last messages, missions cannot fail. 
And, and we're going we're gonna to cover some of those things. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, I'm going to have to close with this thing because uh, we're just not going to have time. This is, I want to leave you with these statistics because they're so fascinating. There's a group called the Joshua Project. If you've read, okay, some of you may have read the Joshua Project. It's really interesting. You know, if you don't like it a little bit, that's, you know, but they do a lot of work. They do a lot of statistical work and, and things that are, are reliable. But this missionary study group called Joshua Project tracks people groups. And I know we haven't had time to define a people group and we haven't had to find time to reach an unreached people group. But here are some numbers. There's a missionary study group called the Joshua Project that tracks people's group, people groups and identifies 16,883 people groups in the world. Little, different, little uh, language groups that... Um, when you break the whole world down, there are about 16,883 of those little different language groups that in that group, they can all get along and associate because they know each other. They, they can communicate. Of these 16,883, 6,992 are unreached. So the whole, the point is there are still 6,992 people groups that have to be reached in order to fulfill Revelation 5, 9, and we read it in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. And it's going to happen. Just don't know when and how, but it's going to happen because Scripture is true. We're going to pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this time together, and we know you got through as much as you wanted, and uh, I thank you so much for the questions about about the seminary and and uh, you'll work in people's hearts accordingly. Uh, and Lord, thank you for uh, the introduction that we had to modern missions. Because we know that you're using people to reach unreached people groups. You're, they're, they're going out and they're, they're serving you. And, and we thank you for churches that are strong, that are the senders. And we thank you for folks that, that are the ones that can go. And I just want to lift up to you, you know, young, God-honoring men and women and families that want to serve you wherever you'd have them go. Maybe even in this church, there's somebody whose heart's being pricked to serve in missions someplace. And they want to learn more about what is this unreached people group thing and, and, and how can I get used, God? And if that was the case, that would be tremendous. But Lord, thank you so much for Southview Bible Church and their absolute faithfulness uh, towards the gospel, towards discipleship, and towards missions. In your son's precious name, amen.